Today on Dirty Linen, we are going to dive into the endless, joyous, interesting puzzle of restaurants. Our guest today is Simon Blacher. He is uh, one of the people behind Commune Group, which owns six restaurants in Melbourne, including newly opened, rather swanky, in my neighbourhood, so I'm very excited, in house. <laughs> Simon, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for the, uh, the great introduction. And uh, thank you for allowing me to come into the neighbourhood. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, you know, I had to check your passport pretty carefully, but yeah, you, 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 you scrub up okay. Um, Simon, tell us about Commune Group. Uh, who is it? What is it? Uh, why do you do what you do? Um, yeah, so Commune Group's a, a group, of, a restaurant group, obviously. Um, we started about 10 years ago with, uh, with Hanoi Hanna, um, our kind of Vietnamese street food offering and it kind of grew from there into into six restaurants as you mentioned before and we we've kind of got a, a group that kind of delves into our version or our, our iteration of, of Asian food at the moment doesn't mean we won't go into anything else but thus far it's been kind of our interpretation of of, of Asian cuisine and we've got um we've got Tokyo Tina we've got Hanoi Hanna we've got Firebird uh, we've got New Quarter um, and Moon House which you just mentioned which is uh, which is Chinese based so it's great. It's been a challenge. It's been 10 years through, through, you know, all the pains that, you know, the Melbourne hospitality world has thrown at us, but I'm sure we'll delve into that a little bit later. But um, yeah, we're stoked to, stoked to keep growing and, and have six and maybe a few more in, in the near future. And um, it excites me. It's challenging, but every day is very, very different to the last. So I think, uh, I think that's kind of what keeps us, us, us excited and us, uh, us growing. Yeah, well, I suppose you know there are the the unknowns where things things are, things aren't what you expect, but then there's the fact that you, I suppose, keep challenging yourselves and 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 making things different, making each day different to the last. But I'd love to just go back a little bit and just find yeah. out, Simon, what took you into hospitality in the first place? Um, kind of fell into it. Um, I did a bit of travelling through Southeast Asia and started, you know, the story's probably been told a few times, it started um, working, actually, funnily enough, at the local, um, which is on Carlisle Street, just up the road from, um, from where Moonhouse has opened before it was a local tap house. So it's going back, going back a while. Um, and, yeah, started bartending, and then um, I, uh, I went to the Saint Hotel, um, which is on Fitzroy Street in St Kilda, um, back in the day when St Kilda was, uh, was, was something of a destination, um, and it was kind of the go-to, the go-to spot for for a lot of people, a lot of a lot of, lot of young young kids. And it was kind of a pseudo pub nightclub vibe. And uh, kind of cut my teeth, cut my teeth there. And then um, we, uh, you know, kind of fell in love with it. I love the people aspect of it. I didn't have a hell of a lot of experience around the food world, um, but kind of got a baptism of fire when we uh, when we opened Hanoi Hanna, which was, you know, a bit of a a conversation amongst friends, you know, we should, we should try do this. And then before you know it, we'd sign a lease on high street and we'll kind of, we're kind of ready to go. So I've always been very, very much um, about, about food. And I grew up eating a lot of Vietnamese food in particular. Um, but I always was kind of sick of making the trek um, to Victoria street. And, um, you know, we kind of tried to do our version um, of Vietnamese street food of things that kind of we, we loved. And then uh, at Hanoi Hanoi on high street, and then it kind of, it kind of blew up from there. So, um, probably a bit of a different story. I hadn't had too much restaurant experience, so to speak, um, but I was around good people and we kind of learnt through through doing very quickly. Um, we were fortunate that we were very popular from the minute we opened um, and that kind of 
bred a lot of confidence that we could kind of keep growing and keep ex- keep experimenting and keep bringing on good people. And um, yeah, it's, uh, we've, we've learnt learnt a lot along the way. But I feel like you know, ten years later, you know, we're at a point now where we we we're, we're very motivated by by creating good experiences, and we've created some very venues that we're really really proud of. And I think that kind of have helped to kind of define the south side dining scene to some extent. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I fell into it, and where 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 we're kind of where we're kind of at right now. And um, with something we've always been passionate about, and I think we might talk about a bit later on, is um, having offerings uh, at different dining levels and being able to kind of ebb and flow between whether it be fast and casual, takeaway, that kind of not high end, but kind of you know casual fine dining and kind of everything in between. I think that's something that does excite me to not be defined by um, by one style by one style. Yeah. That's yeah. That is so interesting. I, I I want you to tell a story you told me when I was lucky enough to have a preview experience at Moonhouse that alarmed one of your partners in, in the very first day that you were opening Hanoi <laughs> Hannah. Yeah, I thought you might ask that question. Um, uh, yeah. So the first. Uh, so going back to my lack of restaurant experience, this, this story will probably sum it up really, really, really succinctly. Um, I remember the first or second night we we'd opened Hanoi Hannah. We we're doing a friends and family like you know most restaurants do. And the docket machine started printing and all of a sudden there was this thing at the top of the machine that was with that said covers with a cover number next to it. And I I was a bit perplexed being just from a bar background. So I went out to my business partner, Nick, who uh who I'd worked with together at the Saint and then um he'd he'd worked at Sati for kind of on and off for a couple of years. And I went up to him and I said, Nick, what what does this mean? What does this cover cover thing mean? He's like he looked at me with this look of shock, horror and fear. Um, and had to carefully explain it to me, and I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." And then I, I went back into the past and kind of and 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 went on from there. But I remember looking at his face at that moment. It probably it stuck, definitely stuck in my mind that he uh, he was probably definitely questioning his uh, his business decision at that moment. But uh, um, and that was followed up by a by a, by a question to Nick saying, "Oh, we should probably put somewhere to put these dockets, these tickets." He's like, "You do you mean a docket rail?" So uh, needless to say, I had to learn quickly, um, but. I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because is it four of you in the partnership? Yeah, yeah. So we've got a, we've got a group of partners. Um, there's four of us. Sorry, there's five of us. Um, some are very active. Some are not so active. Um, and the kind of roles have kind of chopped and changed along along the way. But something that we've always kind of done is to um, partner up with people that we've worked with along the way. Um, you met the other night. You met my other business partner, Charlie. That was a, you know, he was, he was, uh, he came on. Hannah Hannah back in the days walked in the, through the doors and he was he was a he was a floor staff member and then and then fast track a few few years later he's uh, we're opening Tokyo Tina together so um, yeah that's kind of how we've tended to to do it along the journey yeah so interesting um, and I mean it's interesting you know some Melbourne guys that want to do Asian food you, mm. you know you you're not opening a Vietnamese restaurant where all the other Vietnamese restaurants are obviously you're not Vietnamese yourselves you're not Japanese like how do you sort of I don't know how do you conceive of this idea of doing Asian food when you are not Asian yourself um I think I think that funnily enough I think really Australia to a certain extent Australian the Australian palate to a certain extent actually might be Asian by default I think we grew up eating a lot of Asian I think we're so close to you know to asia in general and we've just been around well i can only speak for myself but um we've been around those flavors for such a long time um and i think 
the, the 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 opportunity for us was basically to take those take those flavors and those experiences that we've had traveling you know throughout I was fortunate enough to do a lot of traveling throughout Southeast Asia and so so did some of my partners we've gone back there you know throughout the journey is to basically take those experiences and and kind of interpret it uh, through a melt through you know our lens or a Melbourne palette so to speak and and you know I think it's a, it's a really exciting to not be necessarily bound by being traditional um, to not necessarily have you know, uh, you know, Asian, an Asian heritage or an Asian family that, that would, you know, haven't necessarily grown up eating that food from a household perspective, but I have grown up eating it, going out and being, being, being amongst it. And I think, you know, the inter- our, our opportunity to kind of repackage that and kind of put it through in a, in a Melbourne lens and pa- package that up with great bar vibe and good wine lists. It's just, um, it's just, I think what Melbourne's Melbourne's about, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think, um, I think, you know, that style of eating, is, is, is part of kind of the bread and butter of, of the Melbourne hospitality culture. Mm. I mean, how do you go around about coming up with the concepts for each of the businesses? Um, they've always been a bit of a, um, you know, a work in progress like everything else. Um, Firebird's probably a good example of kind of the thought process that went into that restaurant. I think I could probably talk very succinctly about that. Um, originally, that was... Um, Going back a few years, that was going to be a big, big Hanoi Hanna where we were going to amalgamate two, two of our stores that were already on High Street into one larger site, um, which would be very, very, very much involved with uh, you know, just pumping out your Vietnamese street food classics that Hanoi Hanna had been doing for, for a long time. But as we went through that process, um, we'd opened a, a Hanoi Hanna in Elston Week and we'd, we'd opened one in Richmond. And, and um, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to become a, a cookie cutter uh, style of operator and it doesn't necessarily excite us to be to be kind of that that rollout model there's nothing wrong with it it's good business but it, at that time it doesn't didn't really excite us so we kind of went back to the to the drawing board but something that kind of you know was came to the surface a lot is, is the amount of talent that we kind of had floating in the business um, and then kind of took a step back took a pause didn't didn't you know went went back to the drawing books and thought you know let's let's actually give another exploration of Vietnamese food. And I think for us, it was, you know, it was, it was charcoal. It was fire. It was, it was that smell. It was the taste of the flavors that you get when you, you know, you walk, you walk through, you know, places in Southeast Asia and, and people are cooking on the street with charcoal. And we thought to ourselves, all right, how do we, how do we take those flavors and those smells and those experience and bring it into a, not an elevated level, just a different approach to it. Um, and at the time we had um, a very, very talented chef in the group, Stephen NGO, who had, who cut his teeth at, at, um, who was born in Vietnam and then was at Long Chim for a long time. And, and we kind of went away and just conceptualized a Vietnamese barbecue restaurant with kind of leaning on kind of some French, some French experiences, uh, some French kind of, you know, techniques and, and, and dishes to essentially, because, um, you know, the French did colon, did, you know, colonize Vietnam for a, for a period of time. And a lot of the French influences has seeped through into classic Vietnamese dishes. So we, we, we took that concept and we took, took that approach to cooking and approach to, to, to eating and just kind of put it into a, a warehouse a warehouse setting that had been well designed but could have been anything. It could have been an Italian restaurant, an Israeli restaurant. And the design didn't dictate the menu or back the other way. And, and, and what happened from there, I feel, is we kind of created Firebird in particular. It's kind of created its own little <clears throat> identity and its own little kind of, you know, really, really exciting space that it's not necessarily defined by, 
anything. It just has to hit certain aspects in the cooking process and it can kind of come do do what it needs to do. And, and, you know, there's a few dishes on there that, you know, whether it be the duck l'orange, which is essentially, you know, it's a French dish. We've just taken that concept, applied it, you know, over a wood fire, which, which you know, we've got a really nice basting that, you know, that brings in some Asian, a lot of Asian flavors and a lot of Vietnamese flavors and then some char grilled orange over the top. So it's a French dish, but it's been reconceptualized um, in a, you know, a wood fired Vietnamese interpretation of it. Um, and I think that, that in particular is probably a good example of that you have to be fluid when you conceptualize restaurants. I think to be too, you know, really rigid as to what you want this to be and not malleable and not be able to go, shit, you know, let's, let's move and let's re- reconceptualize and maybe we just kind of be, be a bit, you know, don't be too, you know, set in your ways, I think is important um, is into when you kind of come up with a concept and be, be humble and be, be malleable. Yeah, it's so interesting when there's obviously so many different factors at play. It's, you know, that you've got talent that you want to give pathways for. You've got, you know, spaces that feel like they might be saying one thing to you, not another. You've got this value, which is that you don't want to just roll out the next Hanoi Hannah. I mean, how do you also, I mean, or do you build in from the ground up the sort of the financials of a, of a business or do you trust that, you know, you've got this track record, you know, perhaps you are tapped into what people want? Um, I think there's always a balance, you know, there's always going to be, you know, we, 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 we're, 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 we're not a huge business. Um, we're not a small business. We're kind of in, in that middle period. So there always is this, you know, this, this balancing act between, between, uh, you know, the financial aspect and then, and then having that kind of that gut feeling that, you know, you're in the right place at the right time with the right opportunity, the right talent, and the right people around you that, you know, you got you 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 got to back yourselves back yourself in, um, and that's something that um, we've done along the way. We've had some wins, we've had more wins and losses, but we have had some we've have taken some hits, hits along the way, and that's that's part of it. You know, um, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say you know everything we touch turns to gold because we've had we've had some that haven't hit the mark, but at the same time, you learn a lot from it, and um, I think. Restaurants are, are such a subjective, you know, such a subjective uh, business to be in, you know, and you just got to really, in my, from my perspective and kind of what is my job def- needs me to be is, is I just got to trust my gut on a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the things, but also be, be humble and listen to feedback and don't be too, you know, don't be too headstrong. Don't be too arrogant and realize that, you know, the first iteration of something may not be exactly what people want, but you need to, you need to listen to some things, but also at the same time, stick to the brief and make sure that it's not getting too conflicted by feedback. I think it's a real kind of balancing act. You know, if you listen to everybody's opinion all the time, you're going to end up with a, with a mushy mess. But if you, if you take on constructive feedback, but you still stay true to the brief and you listen to the right people who, who you feel give you the right type of feedback, um, I think that's, that's good business. Um, I think that's where, that's where you'll, you'll, you'll grow as a, as a hospitality professional, but also you'll grow as a business. Yeah, it's so interesting because, um, yeah, I emceed a panel the other night and Michael Bichetta was one of the, the guests on it um, who owns Bar Liberty, Capitano and Falco. So, you know, three quite different businesses. But he was he was he said something similar, but, you know, also that it, he was totally okay 
you know, if the businesses were not for everybody, you know, like he understood that some people would walk into Bar Liberty and it was just like, you know, it was too loud or it was too dark or it was too this or it was too that. And he was like that, you know, that's fine. Um, so long as I suppose, you know, there are enough people who, who really jive with it to make it a, a viable business. Um, if, you've got a, if you've got something, that, if you've got something that everyone universally loves, I don't know. Like it's, it's. I, I think that that's just about impossible. But if you're really hitting the mark for for your target audience, so to speak, you know, that's okay. It's okay for people not necessarily to like everything you put out. That's cool because it means, you know, like like Michael would have said, you know, if if seventy percent people love it and thirty hate it, fuck, you've got seventy percent people loving it, telling their friends about them. They're they're your core, they're your core customers, and that's that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'd love you to talk about something that didn't work and what you learned from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to. Um, so I used to have, we had a restaurant, we opened a restaurant called Saigon Sally uh, a year after we opened Hannah Hannah, which was just around the corner um, in Windsor. Um, it was success, successful off the bat. We had it, uh, we brought in some great chefs, Adrian Lee, um, who's now off doing some, some great stuff around town. And, you know, it was, it was, it was elevated Vietnamese food, but still very fun. It wasn't necessarily, you know, shooting for for a fine dining status but it definitely wasn't um the the fast and furious uh version of hanoi hannah so it was kind of you know the 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 sister brand so to speak and it was great it really hit the mark it was busy it was busy for for five years i think it was the six year mark that um that um i and you know decided that you know potentially we wanted to i think thought it was getting a bit tired um, and we reskinned it into into another another restaurant called BKK, um, which was essentially a Thai a Thai restaurant, um, and it was good, but it wasn't necessarily. Uh, it was more that 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 move, which was more of a gut instinct move that didn't pay off. It wasn't. I didn't necessarily take a step back and think about you know maybe if, if Saigon's getting tired, let's renovate that restaurant and rejig the dining room and give them, give something else and a fresh experience. Cause the brand was strong. It was more just a, you know, I was a bit, I felt like I was running its race and it wasn't really well thought out. And, um, that was, that was one that didn't, that didn't land. Um, and, um, it, you know, unfortunately, it, you know, you gotta eat, you gotta eat humble pie sometimes. And we didn't do enough to give people something fresh and new in the space. We basically just reskinned it without doing a big enough renovation and, and people, um, you know, the feedback was they liked the food, but it wasn't enough for them to, 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 it wasn't enough for them to, 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 repl- to replace Saigon Sally, so to speak. So, um, it didn't last and, and the restaurant world is, it's a, it's a, it's a fickle beast, you know, particularly this was pre COVID times as well, you know, and, you know, you got to make the call sometimes if you, if something's not working, you need to, you need to pull the pin before, before the pin, you know, pulls, pulls on you. So, um, that didn't work. Um, and, but lesson learned is, is to, it was a very kind of humbling lesson for myself, um, but also a growth, growth kind of period for, for myself and my business partners as well, that we need to, you know, be more, bit more, bit more strategic and, and, um, and not be, uh, sometimes too led by emotion and, and what, what I'm feeling right now, it's got to be, it's got to be a bit more strategic. Um, mm. so that's one that didn't work. Um, so you, you haven't gone back to Thai food since then. I mean, was there something about, the cuisine. I mean, you, you you've done a different kind of Vietnamese restaurant since then. You've done you moved on to Chinese. Like, do you, yeah, do you think they're easier to land those other cuisines? Yeah, I think uh, to a certain extent. I think um, th- for me, Thai food should be 
and this is just strictly, you know, it's my opinion. I, my version of Thai food that I really love eating is, is, is the, is a really strong, and this is me just personal, those really strong, distinct flavors, um, heavy on the lime, heavy on the chili, heavy on, heavy on those really kind of, those really punchy flavors. Um, and it's, it's something that the restaurants that I keep going back to, um, that I, I feel really kind of do justice to that food are the ones that are, are that are being helmed by, um, by, uh, by Thai chefs and, and run by, by essentially Thai people, you know, and, and I think Thai food in Melbourne's having a bit of a boom at the moment. Uh, Thai town's killer. Um, Jinder Thai's always been fantastic. And, and for me, I thought to myself, we've just thought that that's, I just, I just don't think that we can, we need to compete in that market. Not that it's necessarily competition, but I just feel like I, I, I like to eat those big flavors and, and I don't think they're all universally loved, um, particularly maybe in the, <clears throat> in the, the market that we, the we play in. So, um, not, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. There might be, there might be a Thai, we might explore that cuisine again down the track. Cause I do think Northern Thai food in particular is something that probably hasn't been delved into, um, as much as it could in, uh, in Melbourne, particularly over charcoal. Um, but that's, uh, that's kind of my, my go on Thai food in Melbourne at the moment. I, I just think the guy that, that some, there's people doing so many, so many great things and I, 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 I want to eat there. <laughs> Let's talk about Moonhouse because it's fresh and new. Um, uh, you've you've conceived of it as a Chinese bistro, which I think you know it's a really thought provoking phrase. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so there's a few elements to it. Um, uh, for me, a bistro is a style of restaurant. It's not necessarily defined by um, a cuisine, um, and I think that that style of restaurant is something that we've kind of tried to explore. Um, with Moonhouse, um, so everyone always obviously thinks bistro and French, and that's that's a very you know it's a very easy connection to make and 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 it works. Um, but for me or for us, you know, a bistro is 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 a menu that is small. It's a menu that is that is constantly changing, and it's also a venue or a menu that's matched with a killer with a killer wine list. Um, and I think and and bustling tables and 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 a, and a real vibe. And I think. And, and, and a place that people, it doesn't challenge people too much. A good bistro does become part of the neighborhood. And I think that kind of embodies what we're trying to achieve um, at Moonhouse. Uh, we're obviously doing that through, through Chinese. Um, but part of the reason we went down a Chinese route is because there's a couple of reasons. I think Chinese food in Melbourne is, is um, to a certain extent, particularly in our area, is probably underrepresented a little bit. Um, we lost Lau's Kitchen a while ago, which, um, you know, it was a, was a big contributor to kind of Chinese food in, in, you know, Balaclavas and Kilda and kind of surrounding areas. And I think that was a, that was a cuisine that, um, is underrepresented. And also as well for us, it's, you know, it's food that and flavors that everyone's grown up eating. Like it's quite nostalgic and it's, and it's approachable across, you know, whether you're, yeah, you know, a kid, you know, middle-aged or everything in between. I think it's, it's flavors that, um, are familiar and, and we've kind of taken that and, you know, yes, we've, re- we've repackaged it into a bistro setting, but the flavors sing true. And I think Chinese food done well um, is really special. You know, you, does, you don't have to feel heavy or you don't have to be, feel, feel too full afterwards. Um, you know, we moved away from a yum cha style and, and a dumpling kind of heavy offering to, to something that we think, you know, where the produce kind of comes forward and the sauces aren't necessarily too, too overpowering, which b- marries up with a great wine list. And I think 
the wine list we've put on, we've, we've brought on Claudel Savannah from Prince Public Shop. He's coming on a consultant. She's kind of brought on a big wine list, probably the biggest one we've ever had in the group. And it's considered and it kind of, to me, that all forms part of, of having, you know, the term bistro kind of thrown into the mix. Mm. And is there a dish or a couple of dishes that you think really speak to what you're trying to do there? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, you tried it the other night. We had the uh, the high knees chicken club sandwich, um, which is essentially uh, high knees chicken classic Cantonese dish that we've kind of re- repackaged and reimagined into into a, into a little you know two or three bite club sandwich with uh, brown, uh, white bread discs and crispy chicken skin and 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 uh, plenty of ginger and spray onion oil. That then you dip into into a bit of uh, chicken broth, which I think is it's fun. It's cute. It does everything it needs to do in a couple of bites, and um, and is, is a great way a great way to kind of to kind of start. And then um, a dish that kind of I really think kind of from a that's a you know that 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 appears in a snack section, and I think we'll sell or well, hopefully we sell a lot of them, and I think it'll go down really well. We're also doing a um, a pan seared Murray cod um, with a shousing broth and garlic shoots. So it's kind of it's a beautiful piece of fish. Murray cod is obviously having its moment you know, moment in the, in the headlines at the moment. I think it, it's probably needed to be there for a while. It's, it can, it's moist. It can take a lot of cooking and we crisp up the skin and serve it just with a really simple broth and garlic shoot. So it's produce forward. It's, it's, it's not heavy on the sauce. It's delicate. It's light. And I really think, you know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's presented on a nice kind of bistro style plate with a nice glass of wine. And I just really think that it's kind of sums up what good Chinese food is. And also, um, how you can do it in a setting that, that isn't necessarily, um, you know, your traditional traditional Chinese restaurant. Mm. And, I mean, everyone's struggling for staff. You've got, I suppose, in a sense, the flexibility of having a number of businesses, but then also the pressure of having a number of businesses that you, you want to staff up. Like, how is that all playing out? Um, yeah, well, it's no, it's no, it's no, it's no lie. It's no you know, secret that staffing issues are, you know, uh, Everyone's having staffing issues across our industry and probably a lot of industries all over the country. Um, so, uh, in one extent, it's a it's a terrible time to open in your restaurant, but the other other time, you know, it's it's it 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 you know we're we're, we're here now. We just got to got to got to move on. Um, so, we've you know like everyone else, we are we're constantly looking for staff. We are fortunate that we can we can pull um, from the group, um, and we actually are fortunate that we you know we do have a lot of a lot of internal talent in the group. So to get this restaurant open, um, whilst it's been a struggle um, to kind of get it to this point, um, we do have enough staff to kind of get it going. We've, we've been recruiting for this for this for a long time. Um, and also, you know, it, we are fortunate that, you know, we've got about 300 staff within the group. And when we open a new venue, um, people want to, people, our staff are excited about it. So, um, you know, we definitely need, more staff like everybody else does in the whole industry. Um, but we are probably, we count ourselves quite fortunate that we can kind of, you know, lean on, lean on the rest of the group to, to get us through. And do you think having those different offerings assists with retaining staff? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people get excited about, about new people get excited about, about um, new kitchens, new dining rooms. And I think for us, you know, the, the biggest, we're not, a, as I said before, we're not, we, we're growing, but we're not a huge business. But as we grow, we feel, you know, the key to growth and success 
you know, it, it is it is your staff in hospitality. There's nothing else. You know, you can have all the best ideas in the world, but if you don't have the staff to back it up, you, you know, you're dead in the water. Um, you can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't doesn't necessarily, you know, breed good good culture and good opportunities and whatnot. So, um, yes, for us, we do feel that for us to for staff retention, um, giving them the opportunity to work in new spaces and work on exciting projects has definitely um, definitely helped definitely helped and uh, and I, I think we'll you know continue to be you know a strategy that you know we lean on moving forward and what's the plan simon is it just like more and more restaurants um yeah how do you see it all playing out um good question um we're always i think you know it's, it's a business that you know it's sometimes you you know you think you're you you're, you're kings of the world and you can open it you can open them you know every other day and then other times you know you, you just think oh maybe enough's enough but um we're always looking and open for opportunity um i think we without you know pumping up our tires too much i think we're, we're we do play a, a part in kind of the melbourne hospitality scene and it's something that we're we're proud of we've been in it for you know almost a decade now and and i think that you know we do add you know value and and, and a point of difference to to some of the offerings out there in particular, you know, we, we are quite proud of kind of what we've done in, in the South side in particular. Um, so yes, we're always open for, for new opportunity. We don't have necessarily anything in the pipeline right now. Um, obviously we're pretty, pretty focused on, on the moon house at the moment and um, kind of making sure that, you know, to get everyone through, you know, this phase because, because hospitality right now um, it's, it is challenging, you know, between staffing issues we touched on, there's 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 cost of good issues, there's supply chain issues. Um, so we want to make sure that any move we make moving forward isn't necessarily just because we want to have to we want another venue. We want to make sure that we've kind of got our business in a really really a fantastic position, which it is. But it, you know, like with everything, it's 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 always you know everything moves at a pace. But you know, the, there are challenges in the industry at the moment that we want to make sure that you know we've got a really solid grip on um, before we before we make any big moves. Yeah, I mean, you touched on, you know, yeah, the costs and supply chains. Like, is there anything that's, you know, you're finding particularly alarming at the moment? Um, uh, well, I think what's kind of concerning is how, you know, hospitality and food and the supply chain of food is probably some of the first to get impacted, you know, when transport costs and, and things uh, spike, which obviously, you know, we've seen with petrol costs and everything that's happened um, in the last last two months or so. I think surprisingly um, – vegetables for some reason, well, not for some reason, vegetables have, have, have become a lot more expensive than they used to be. And, um, you know, the price of salmon, um, you know, I, we don't use too much salmon, but I, you know, speaking to other operators in, in the game, the price of salmon just keeps kind of fluctuating up and down and, and, and the cost of goods in general, um, is, is, is obviously the, one of the biggest levers and one of the biggest, you know, pinch points of any, any hospitality business. So, um, it's a marginal business, you know, you know, it is, it is thin margins in hospital. It's no secret. And, um, if we're paying more, um, for the, for the, for the product, um, there's only, there's only, there's only so much, you know, a restaurant, restaurant can, can kind of cop in terms of, um, not passing it on to the customer eventually. So I think how much it's going up and down. And so, so, so quickly is, um, it's hard to plan for, you know, it's hard to plan a menu a seasonal menu when, you know, week to week prices are changing, you know, that drives our chefs crazy. Um, and it also, you know, makes, makes kind of, business planning a little bit harder than it, than it used to be. And what about, I mean, how sensitive do you think your customers are to price rises? I think, um, I think it's a good question. 
Um, and I think it's probably, we probably have different sensibilities um, of different customers throughout our business, you know, um, obviously we operate, you know, between a takeaway level and a, and a private dining level and a, and a, and a special occasion level. So we kind of, we kind of have access to a, a, a large marketplace at different times of their week and the way they experience restaurants in different ways. So I don't necessarily think there's one um, answer for all of it, but I think something that um, we see as, as a kind of universal truth that if, if the experience is good and the food's delicious and the environment's right, whether that's a good experience through takeaway, whether that's good experience as a special occasion or just coming in for a, for a dinner on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, whatever it be, if that experience is good, I don't think necessarily think our customers or customers in general, I can only speak for us, but you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a, something that I, I believe in wouldn't be necessarily too um, off put by a, by a price increase along the way. As long as, as a product and experience is good, an extra 2 or $3, $5 per head per cover, um, I don't think will deter anybody. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Um, I hope you're right. <laughs> anyway. I think oh, I, might just, I might just elaborate on that. I think, I think if, on the other side of it, if someone has a shitty experience or it goes the other way, because, you, know, you know, experience is very subjective as well. If they have a shitty experience, the first thing they're going to mention is price. So... For us, the focus is on experience, product, service. And if we get that right, you know, price increases passed on to customers along the way, I think shouldn't necessarily be a huge issue. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah, absolutely. I love paying for quality. Um, So one of my like special topics is ventilation because I'm really scared about getting COVID over and over again while I do my job in restaurants, especially over winter. Is that a conversation at Commune Group? Um, to be, to be completely frank, it isn't something we're necessarily too fixated on at the moment. Um, we have always had indoor, we've, we've had some indoor outdoor spaces. We've always got the ability to open windows. We've got always had good, you know, air conditioning systems. Um, but I think without, without, without kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to overstep the mark, but I think. I think to a certain extent COVID is something that we have to live with. Like we, well, like we're living with right now, like we're living with through, you know, a really, there's quite a big bad, bad of the flu kicking around Melbourne at the moment. And, you know, it's really, and Danny, you're obviously in a different, you know, you're in a, you're in a role that you, you know, you, you're going to restaurants, you know, every, every other night or whatever it be. And, and that, that, that is a, is a concern. And, but at the same time, if, if you're sick, don't go out. And I think, I think for, you know, we're constantly testing for COVID and we are, you know, and, but, and that's why the numbers are kind of as high as they are. But the reason the numbers are high is because we're constantly testing for it. And I think, you know, some sort of responsibility needs to fall back um, on, 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 on the diner and on, on the, on the customer that, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're sick and you're not feeling well, um, don't leave the house. Yeah, sure. So the, yeah, and I get what you're saying. So it's sort of like, I don't, I shouldn't be necessarily relying on the restaurant to keep the COVID out. We should all be relying on one another to keep the COVID at home. 
I think that's, yes, yeah, sorry. We, we, you, you said a lot more eloquently than I did. Yes is the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. And obviously COVID is the, the one thing we are testing for. You know, we're not testing for flus. We're not testing for a lot of other things. We're constantly testing. You know, the minute we get a sniffle, we're testing for COVID. And that triggers a lot, you know. That triggers a seven-day isolation. That triggers, you know, a lot of things that, that you know, impact people's lives, jobs, and everything in between. But, um, you know, we, we are all pretty well hopefully most people are, are quite well vaccinated and COVID to a certain extent you know it affects everyone differently um I understand that but I'm not necessarily sure that um the responsibility for keeping COVID out should necessarily completely fall on or not all of it but on restaurants you know where we we you know there's there's a lot of um hygiene practices in place but um and there's a lot of COVID initiatives that restaurants in, have been honoring for you know the last two years um but now i think we're probably at a point now where um shift the burden and 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 um maybe some a lot of the yeah shift the burden yeah yeah i really hear what you're saying um and yeah definitely respect that opinion uh i also think that it could be a selling point like even say for your private dining spaces if you could some people aren't as comfortable about going out. Would, would it perhaps be a selling point that you could say, and we've installed um, such and such filters, um, which, you know, filter out 99% of blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Like uh, I feel like that would get some people into those spaces that would, would otherwise not. Um, I'd love I'd love it to be, I'd love someone to take it on as an experiment and I would love to know the results. Um I agree. I think I, actually, I, I I agree. Maybe maybe I do come up from a you know slightly different perspective because I'm I'm not necessarily that sensitive to because I work in hospitality. I'm around things all the time. Maybe I'm a, and you know maybe maybe I'm, I'm I'm probably being a bit you know maybe not as sensitive to, as to people's kind of sensitivities around around catching it. So yes, I agree that 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 could definitely be be a selling point and something that you know we could market. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Yeah. Oh well, I'll watch that space. Um, Simon, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on? Um. No, I think we've, uh, we've, 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 we've gone through a bit. We've gone through a bit. Um, just, uh, I'd like to thank you for, for giving me the chance to, to have a chat. Um, it was lovely to meet you finally, personally, the, uh, the other night. And, um, yeah, hope to, uh, hope to catch you around the traps and uh, um, hope to see any of the listeners around our restaurants uh, in the near future. Definitely. Um, thanks so much, Simon. Really, really fantastic to hear your stories and have the benefit of your expertise. Thanks so much. And, and thanks for what you guys bring to Melbourne. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again, Danny. We'll see you soon. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.